Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you are listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for February 16, 2020. Koyo Kubose here, so very, very glad you joined us on this morning. Yeah, <laughs> weather is something that we always see in the news and in the weather reports and storms, uh, snowstorms, everything. Of course, everything's relative, and uh, here in Central California, you know, it's cold for us in winter, but it's only 40 degrees or something like this, you know. Um, I remember that reminds me, um, uh, when I was uh, teaching psychology, I took a, a visiting position. I was offered a visiting position in psych department at the uh, University of Hawaii. And um, I was on the faculty at the uh, University of North Carolina at Greensboro at the time. And and uh, one of my, one of my former professors was in the department at Hawaii. And they had uh, somebody was taking a sabbatical and they needed someone for just one semester to be you know, uh, visiting and, uh, let me know, knew about it. And I said, yeah, we'll do that. And, um, so we were there for, you know, four or five months and, uh, we rented a house and, uh, we went swimming all the time. You know, uh, we started in, started there in September until January, you know, the fall semester. And uh, so we were there during the winter in in Hawaii. And it, it gets maybe in the high 70s or something like that. And uh, <laughs> we go swimming and then the, our neighbors who are local, I said, oh, nobody goes swimming in the winter. It's too cold, <laughs> you know. So... That always reminds me how <laughs> weather is so relative, okay, and what you're used to, uh, and so forth. The 
sometimes when the weather is not what you like or or you um describing what the what the local weather is like and you said, Well, gee, it shouldn't be like this. It should be like this. And for some reason I want to talk a little bit about the word should. Um <clears throat> I don't know how I got on that topic of should, but recently I was reminded of a, a, a quote that my father used to say all the time, um, no shoulds in Buddhism. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting statement? No shoulds in Buddhism, you would say. Okay. Um, when we make judgments, okay, of course, judgments or judgmental attitude is implicit in the word should. Okay. I go, wow. Things shouldn't be like this. Or others shouldn't do this or be that way. And uh how should I be? You know, we we we, we could be hard on ourselves too. Okay. Uh <clears throat> And I think, well, it's just a matter of degree, too. We all do the shoulds, but the no shoulds in Buddhism is a reminder that whatever level of judgmentalness we have, okay, it's a reminder to scale back on blaming or judging things. Now, why? Well, uh, it could be that those things point us to how to, how things could be improved. But the, the way you could get to that in a better way is to put your time and energy in dealing with what is. You know? That is, deal with the reality itself. Okay? Because the shoulds could uh, actually um, limit or prevent effective action you know it shouldn't be this hard or uh i know some people that said something like um why shouldn't i uh get something on a silver platter or silver spoon why should i have to work hard for something why you know uh, and uh, as a young person I, you know i was in college and i remember one thing about college is if you go away to college and you're around other students, it's a very formative time. You, you talk, you meet, this probably for the first time, you, you're meeting a lot of diverse views of other people, you know. Uh, when, when you leave your home stomping grounds and you go and you meet a lot of people from different areas, and, and that's a tremendously educational, I think, you know. And... Uh, because uh, you think, I mean, I think usually we always would think most people are pretty reasonable, like I am, <laughs> you know, like that. And then you see, oh, it's possible to hold some kind of views that you think just don't make sense to you, okay? And uh, <clears throat> somebody might say, oh, I, I know someone that said, well, I want to be a writer, but I'm not going to be a writer because. Uh, to be a writer, I want to be the best writer I can be, and in order to do that, I, I really I need 
all conditions perfect for me to for me to even start on that. Okay. In other words, I don't I don't have to worry about making a living. I don't have to worry about this, and I need the uh, the right environment, the quiet, uh, you know, cabin in the woods or something. And if I don't have all that, I'm not going to struggle and try to be a writer. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> or I'm not going to, uh, you know, say somebody's really interested in sports or basketball or something, but he's short. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm talking about myself, maybe. So, gee, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, I'm too short. Why? Why am I? Why was I? Why am I too short? Because if I was, you know, six inches taller, I'd, I'd be in the NBA or something. Okay, wishful thinking, probably. But okay, you don't realize how hard you have to work. Uh, you don't. Yeah, yeah. If you accept the reality okay, of what is, and then you decide, you know, you explore your options. You say what, well, and then if you want to do it, do it a hundred percent. Okay. I remember uh, there was a mother. There was a story about a son who wanted to do something. I think you know some kind of a life uh, career or whatever. And the mother didn't want him to do that, but he was determined to do it. And when she realized that, she said, well, then do it 100%. You know? Um, so be the best short player you could be. Okay? And you never know what might happen. That's where role models come in and where where people have uh, beat the odds. Or okay? Plus, it's in the doing, too. You know you gave your best. And you know, and so forth, and there's no regret. I remember my niece when she saw uh one of my uh chapter titles of a chapter in I, one of the, my dad's books was "Live a Life of No Regret," and she really my niece really that really struck her you know live a life of no regret okay and uh because uh, sometimes uh, someone might want to do something in their career or a big life choice, and and uh, there's a pros and cons about it. And maybe the 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 parents of the adult child said, "No, nah, you know, a little bit more conservative." But the person may say, "Gee, if I don't, you know, take this risk." I'm, you know, uh, and do this, I might regret it. Uh, you know, and in fact, this is a true story. You know, she uh, uh, went to Australia to get a certain kind of training in physical therapy field, okay? and the parents didn't didn't think that was a wise uh, option. But she did it, you know, and of course, uh, they just expressed their views. It's not like it got acrimonious or anything, okay? But one part of it in her decision-making was live a life of no regret. That teaching, you know? And um, so 
No shoulds in Buddhism. I think that when we start to victimize ourselves, that's when we have to challenge our our self-talk, you know, and uh, make sure. Or, <laughs> I don't know why, but I thought of a Daniel Boone saying, yeah, make sure you're right, then go ahead. Okay? So you, you decide what you want to do, okay? what's right for you, and boom, do it 100%. Or there's the other saying, doesn't matter what you what you what you're gonna whatever you're gonna want to be, okay, when you're kind of confused and you don't know what kind of job or life direction you say, or you know you want to be this or you want to be that artist or whatever. So, well, whatever you're gonna be, be a good one. Okay, that means do it a hundred percent. Okay. Well, I want to introduce our guest to give us the Dharma glimpse today. Alex Cacchio, part of our LM10 group, and he lives in Ohio. So let's hear from Alex Cacchio. Hello. The title of today's Dharma talk is The Dharma of Humpty Dumpty. My mother used nursery rhymes to teach me how to read. Each night, I'd sit next to her in bed snug in my footy pajamas, and I'd pick three nursery rhymes for us to read together. First, she'd read the rhyme to me, running her fingers beneath the words so i know where we were on the page, Then I'd take the book into my lap and attempt to read aloud, with her helping with the words I didn't know. As a result, tales of old women who live in shoes and muffin men who live on Drury Lane are etched firmly into my memory. In fact, I've been known to mumble, twinkle, twinkle, little star to myself when I'm in an especially good mood. However, a seemingly sad nursery rhyme has been on my mind lately. It's the tale of Humpty Dumpty. Unlike the other rhymes I read as a child that were either happy or a bit mischievous in their messages, this one was just tragic. It goes like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. So here we have a young man who climbed on a great wall, probably against his mother's wishes, who proceeded to fall down and break every bone in his body. The king's men tried to help him, but he was beyond repair. Thus, Humpty Dumpty was forced to live forever in his humbled, broken state. I have a lot of questions for I ever thought this story belonged in a children's book. But that's neither here nor there. Instead of dwelling on the past, I'd like to focus on the present and discuss the Buddhist lesson that lies at the heart of this depressing tale. Oftentimes, when people begin Buddhist practice, they do it in response to suffering in their lives. For example, Dogen became a monk as a result of his mother dying when he was seven. And Shinran practiced Pure Land Buddhism because he felt the world was so decrepit that only faith in Amitabha could save us. I say all of this to say that people aren't wrong when they come to Buddhism hoping to find relief from suffering. People have been doing exactly that for over 2,000 years. But we must be cautious with our expectations. Occasionally I talk to people who think that if we train hard enough, then we'll never be hurt again. Phrases like, final enlightenment, and 
mature practice often get thrown around in these discussions. But this thinking is incorrect. Because each of us lives as Humpty Dumpty, perched precariously on a great wall. We struggle to carry our baggage, jobs, families, bills, etc. throughout the day. But sometimes our burden is too heavy. Sometimes we fall headfirst towards the concrete pavement below. And as we lie there, broken and bleeding on the ground, conventional society tries to save us. The TV tries to distract us. Food tries to comfort us. And pets try to drown our sorrow with kisses. But it's all for naught. All the king's horses and all the king's men can't put us together again. That's what the Dharma is for. Because the practice of Buddhism is not that we'll never be broken. Rather, it's a practice that states we'll never stay broken. No matter how many times we tumble from the wall, our practice will always be there, piecing us back together and sending us on our way. Over time, the practice makes us stronger, more resilient. We learn what pieces of baggage aren't worth carrying, gladly throwing them away, and we get better at carrying the things that are left. Eventually, we lose our fear of falling, not because it doesn't hurt, but because we know we'll get back up again. May this Dharma glimpse be a benefit to all sentient beings. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, one association I had in listening to the Dharma glimpse this morning is um, has to do with uh, attachment, non-attachment. Okay. Uh, now, non- teaching of non-attachment is a very important part of the core of the Dharma teachings, and yet it's one that also uh, can be very misleading. Uh, requires a lot of uh, unpacking, you know, because one common misperception would be, well, non-attachment, don't, you know, uh, are you saying don't feel strongly about things? You know, don't have strong emotions and and why isn't it good to be attached to good things, valuable things, constructive things? What kind of an attitude is uh, uh, being non-attached? not caring about things. Now, so it's a good, very good uh, discussion, discussion topic, to sort of clarify to oneself. Gee, how do I understand? This is supposed to be a big teaching. How how do I really, you know, understand this teaching? And I was thinking about climbing a ladder. You know, when you climb a ladder, and the question might be, well, how do you safely get where you want to go? Okay. Say you want to <clears throat> climb up a ladder okay, to get some someplace. Okay. Um, you, you climb these rungs, and the main action that you do is you grab the next rung, and then you... Grab the next one and the next one. Now, in order to grab the next one, 
you got to let go with your hand of the other one, the previous one, as you go up. So it's this process of grabbing and letting go, you see. And I thought that was uh, a nice balance in terms of the whole process, not just uh, thinking about the letting go part in order to to move ahead. Okay. Um, well, for one thing, you've got to firmly grasp not just what you're doing, okay, uh, letting go and grabbing, but it's how you do it. How do you grasp? How do you let go? Because if you don't grasp firmly, well, you didn't really grasp it. Okay? You, you've got to be aware of what's going on, what's right in front of you. You can't be absentmindedly or be, you know, fantasizing about something else when you're going up this ladder because you might mess up. Okay? So you got to, you know. So you grab firmly, okay? and then how do you let go? Well, you got to be able to let go completely, okay? And the timing is important. You don't let go until the other hand is firmly grasped, okay? So like a lot of things, the whole process, the, the timing of things, huh? And when you try to describe how to climb a ladder, like I'm trying to do, it could be, you know, has a lot of nuances in there, okay, in terms of the timing and so forth. And, and uh, well, if you want to go into it, you could assess, uh, is the ladder at the right angle? Is the ladder uh, strong enough to, to you know, uh, not old and rickety? And you got to make sure that your your feet are doing the right thing too. That it's solid, you know, uh, not uh, unstable or liable to slip if you didn't firmly plant your feet there too. Okay. Um, so uh, I think that if you apply this analogy okay, of this process of uh, attachment, non-attachment, grasping, letting go. Okay? It's a nice balance in a way, because uh, you. <laughs> my father used to say, and he had an experience where he never thought about it, but it showed him that the experience of this person that was having trouble, that you could become attached to the teaching of non-attachment. <laughs> So he got a kind of a chuckle out of that too, okay? Like a person who, well, actually, this is a it's a true story, but one of his disciples, uh, <clears throat> he was a person who uh, hurt, you know, uh, wanted to follow my father's teachings, and I think he lived in Tennessee or something like that, and he came for a summer to Chicago just so he could spend time with my father, okay? And would go and, you know, spend time every day with my father, okay, for that summer when he was free. And uh, some years later, I, he used to invite my 
my father to go speak at his uh, where he was uh, near the university and where he was, and also arranged for things like my mom, who was a uh, Chano Yu a tea teacher, to put on a demonstration. So he was quite involved, okay, as well. We could call him a disciple. And he suffered a tragedy where a drunk driver uh, hit the car that he and his wife was driving, and his wife was killed. And he was seriously injured and in the hospital. And he was so broken up that, and he said to himself, you know, well, I, I shouldn't grieve too much. I'm I'm a too attached to my to my late wife. You know, am I maybe I'm not such a good Buddhist. I'm so attached. Okay. And his brother who was at the bedside and so forth, you know, could see this agony in him and he you know, he thought my he he's so injured, he doesn't need this on top of everything. He and so he I contacted my father and said, explain the situation. And my father flew over there and, okay, or as he, as my father said, well, I had to straighten him out. You know, if you're sad, you cry. Okay. Uh, and uh, this is where he got that statement of, you know, what he learned is that, yeah, people could get attached to the teaching of non-attachment. So this too, I think is a nice balance of the process of something, not just looking at one little part of it that says, oh, you know, this is the teaching. But the truth and teachings change in their manifestation or how they're applied or in some way, okay? Maybe that, you know, whatever it means, the teaching itself might not change, but the application of it does. So, uh, what are you going to say? Okay. Um, the way I look at it in terms of whenever we get into some kind of a quandary of, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? Or, or am I, you know, not this? Well, ask, I ask myself whether what I'm doing victimizes myself. Now, you could get into, well, what does victimization mean and all that, but self-victimization okay, by my attitude, okay, uh, I want to change my thoughts, or my, my attitude when I, fe- I feel, okay, I'm the one that's making the judgment and the, and the definition of myself, when I feel that I victimize myself by my thoughts. And I said, then I better challenge myself, myself talk and say, hey, and I could look to the teachings for guidance too. So uh, this is a, uh, when we victimize ourselves, uh, we're the ones that did it, so we're the ones that could change it. <laughs> well, okay, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a beautiful day.